0: Please turn in God's word this morning to Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11, page 847 in your Bibles, there in front of you. Palm Sunday, triumphal entry. Oh, I can remember as a young child seeing these reenactments, if you will the palm branches waving, the children singing. We always love to hear the enthusiasm of young people, and particularly as it's directed toward the Lord Jesus. But how does a scene come to your mind? These palm branches, singing. Um, but what about that slow procession on a donkey? It seems a little, I don't know, a little unfitting for the situation. Here we are talking about something that is to be a, a coronation, as it were, a welcoming of a king, and, and here comes Jesus in on a donkey. That's a wonderful event for us to remember, to celebrate, but an event that is often not understood. So I want us to think uh, together about it this morning, looking at some aspects of it. We can't cover all of it this morning, but let's hear of the account of it as it is recorded in the gospel according to Mark, Mark chapter 11, starting in verse 1. This is the word of God. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage and Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, And they told them what Jesus had said, and they let them go. They brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. Those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. And he entered Jerusalem and went... Into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. On the following day, when they came from Bethany, he was hungry, and seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. And the chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him, for they feared him, because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the city. This is the word of God. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of God stands forever. Congregation of Lord Jesus Christ, what strikes you about this passage? Is it the fact that the two disciples that went into the city found things exactly as Jesus said? Is it perhaps the branches being waved? Is it the cloaks that are spread on the donkey and on the road? Is it Jesus riding on a donkey? Mark records all of these details because they're significant. We don't have time to look at them all this morning, but they are attached to Old Testament prophecy about the one who was to come. But Mark also focuses, as do the other gospel writers, on one thing of interest to us this morning, and that is when Jesus entered into Jerusalem, verse 11 says, he went into the temple. Perhaps you've seen a coronation ceremony, maybe not. I remember the coronation ceremony of or not the coronation ceremony, but the wedding of Charles and Diana. I remember seeing the pomp and circumstance I've seen records, recordings of coronation ceremonies. when the sovereign goes in to be coronated in Western countries, at least, historically. That includes an entrance into the church. British royalty in particular we think of being the most known to us. The king, the queen enters Westminster Abbey and is declared supreme governor of the church of England. The pomp and circumstances heavy with symbolism meant to show the people the power and the splendor. But notice something about that, that the That the head of the country is one who is to be, at least in Western history, in a Christian history, is to be one who is recognized as head of the church, but under God. There is close connection between ruler, human earthly ruler, and God. It was seen in the nation of Israel, the king was not above God, but servant of God, and was to lead the people in service and in worship to God. What we have here is a picture of Jesus coming into Jerusalem, the people wanting to put him on a throne, they want to put him in, place of, uh, in that place where David sat, and they want that great and glorious Power again that was seen the influence that was seen in King David's day there is much confusion surrounding this event some thought he was one to deliver from political enemies some were hoping that he was the one to deliver from religious authorities wanting deliverance from somebody else the oppressor the one who was causing the problems you see the problem was out there as it was understood. And today we hear that in our culture, don't we? The problem is out there. It's those people. It's those oppressors. It's that bad economy. It's that particular leader. The problem is out there. Well, Jesus comes and He enters the temple and He doesn't do it as a first-time pilgrim wondering how this all looks. He does it as the God-appointed one to examine if the place of worship is faithful to the purpose it was intended to have. That's what we want to see this morning. That's what the gospel writers are declaring. They're saying Jesus is king, he is king, but he is more than king, he's prophet and priest. He had been preaching and teaching as prophet, he was the one who also would be priest offering himself as sacrifice. Again, the king of God's people was to set example of submission to God, lead the people to worship God who had delivered the people out of bondage. He was the true deliverer, the one who had delivered the people. The priest was to perform the ceremony and both king and subject were to worship. Jesus came into the temple to survey the temple to see if It was indeed functioning in a way to point the people to their true sovereign and to the one who could truly deliver them from themselves, from the curse that hung over them. And what he saw troubled him. But because of the lateness of the hour, we read, he went out once more. Well, the next day he returns to Jerusalem. As he enters the temple, he says in verse 15 that he began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple and he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons and he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. The temple scene was raucous. This was no place for worship to take place. It had become a marketplace, a slaughterhouse. The ancient historian Josephus records that in the Passover week, one in one particular year, 255,000 lambs were bought, sold and sacrificed in the temple courts. Imagine that. A hundred head of cattle I get pretty impressed by. 255,000 lambs bought and slaughtered. This was hardly a place for worship. The fixation had become the sacrifice, the focal point of bringing that animal and seeing that the command was obeyed. But this was not a place for worship. Imagine how how loud it must have been, how irreverent. And Jesus' reaction was a holy indignation against what had taken place in the temple where God was to be present and where God's people were to worship Him. Sacrifice had become a formality with no space to understand what was going on in the sacrifice. Simply going through the motions, as it were, in worship, but not considering what is being done. Jesus says this in verse 17, as he teaches, as he was teaching them, he said to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a den of robbers? Now, if you know your Old Testament history, this event was expected. It was prophesied. The Lord warned that the people had become perverse in their worship, and the priests themselves had caused this. In Malachi, the last minor prophet, we read of what had been taking place in Old Testament Israel before that intertestamental period, before those 400 years of silence, before the Lord did not speak for 400 years. Malachi chapter 2 tells us that the priests were perverting the worship. They were not giving true instruction. They were not declaring the truth. They had corrupted the worship space, showing partiality in instruction and in their doing and the Lord warns the prophet Malachi that one is going to come Malachi chapter 3 behold I send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple That messenger, of course, is John the Baptist. Jesus tells us that elsewhere in the Gospels. Preparing, saying, Repent, be baptized for the washing away of your sins, to consider your sinfulness. And then the Lord will suddenly come to his temple, and he will come in a way that is not. Pleasant, it goes on, but who can endure the day of His coming? Who can stand when He appears? For He is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver and He will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver and they will bring offerings and righteousness to the Lord. There was a reform needed in worship. There was a reformation needed The king came to cleanse the temple of its profanity, to call to account the perversion of worship through the priests. But what a contrast. He comes on a donkey, a beast which speaks of peace. We can't look at that today, but that was the That was the animal of choice in the house of David during times of peace. There was something being said. It's fulfillment of Zechariah 9. We read it this morning. Behold, your king comes to you, righteous and riding on a donkey. As Jesus comes, He comes to make peace through His death, but also to warn of judgment for those who refuse to obey the commands of God to repent. He is mighty and gentle John sees him in revelation as the lion lamb the lord of the temple as he comes to the temple the priests chief priests and scribes are furious mark tells us as the other gospel writers tell us and they want to destroy him you see there are two responses to The Lord Jesus Christ, you receive Him or you wish Him dead. You are either for Him or you are against Him. You either surrender before Him and repent and believe, or you say, He has nothing to say to me. After all, look at Him. He's pathetic. He's riding on a donkey. I have no need of Him, says the chief priest, says the scribe, says the highly religious, says the faithful attender who trusts in their own righteousness. I have no need of Him. Jesus declares that simply going through the motions is not an indication of one who is right with the Lord. The chief priests are astounded by what he is doing, but they feared the people. But we can well imagine they're asking themselves, what is he doing? What does he think he's doing? Coming in here and telling us that this is not right. And furthermore, he goes even further. As one commentator states, Jesus' actions were confusing and offensive to the Jewish leaders. They imagined Messiah would come to purge the temple of foreigners. Jesus cleared the temple for the nations, Did you hear that? My house will be called a house of prayer for the Jews? (laughs) For the nations. He's advocating for them. He's teaching that the nations would come through prayer, through His sacrifice. The story of the temple begins back in the Garden of Eden, it was in the Garden of Eden that we had a sanctuary where God and man dwelt together. When man decided that he no longer needed God or wanted to go his own way, what he was in effect doing is cutting himself off from God. He was saying, I have no need of you. I have a way well chosen, a way that will bring life. But there was no way to come to God apart from His provision. You remember what happened when they sinned. They were cast out of the garden. And what was placed before the tree of life? An angel with a sword of fire to indicate to them that judgment would come for anyone who sought to come through on their own. They would be struck down. Then in the history, God's progressive revelation, He graciously provided a tabernacle and a temple to the people, indicating that He was near them, that He would provide for them, but no one could come into His presence except the one appointed, and that only once a year on the Day of Atonement, the high priest going in with blood sacrifice, indicating that anyone who seeks to approach the Lord apart from His provision would be struck down. And this blood was to be from a lamb without blemish. Well, over the centuries, the holiness of God was downsized, was domesticated to such a degree that people thought, well, I'm just bringing a sacrifice. What's the big deal? I've I've fulfilled the requirements. Now, just give me my blessing and I'll be on my way. Treating worship as something insignificant. Insignificant. But we were shown that in this ceremony, the high priest entered with great trembling to the Holy of Holies only once a year and only with blood sacrifice. Picture of the demand of the sword of judgment upon the one who sought to approach him apart from his provision. Then the prophets came. And the prophets spoke of a coming day when the glory of the Lord would cover the earth as the waters covered the sea, that the Lord would be known among the nations, that he would call people from every tongue, tribe, and nation. And we ask ourselves, well, wait a minute, how, how, how can that be? How can people come apart from sacrifice? How can people come apart from that which God has set before us? Well, indeed, that sacrifice was a picture of the need. But the people of Israel, no more than the nations, had need of God's only sacrifice, His perfect sacrifice, namely His Son. And the prophet Isaiah comes and says in Isaiah 53 that He will be cut off. Struck down with the sword of judgment. that we might enter into the land of the living. And in his death, the veil of the temple between the Holy of Holies and the courtyard was split. All of this is in the background and should be in the minds of the people, but they are looking for a political deliverer, many of them, most of them, When what they needed was deliverance from their own sin so that they might be brought to God. The problem was within, not without. Where did this reception come from? This palm branch waving retinue. Well there's background here the expectations of political messiah were connected to their more recent history in the 160s AD or BC rather there was a revolutionary named Judas Maccabeus a leader who was ferocious in his attacks who gained regained the right for the Jews to worship according to their custom by defeating Antiochus Epiphanes Jewish historians tell us that the victories were celebrated by the waving of palm branches. Well, when he faded from the scene, the people loved to retell that story and kept hope alive for that next Maccabeus who would come to deliver them even to the next step for further influence. Therefore, their shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, save us, O Lord, was an indication that they wanted a new Davidic kingdom with far-reaching influence and power. Jesus comes on a donkey, speaking of one who was to come humble, submitting himself, not to the people's will, but to the will of His Father, that He might be that perfect sacrifice for sinners. And the crowd is astonished at His teaching, at the way He comes, astonished in the sense of they can't, they can't understand exactly what is going on. There are so many expectations, and not, all of, not a single one of them seems to be exactly what is transpiring before their eyes. And then Mark includes this rather interesting account in between Jesus leaving of the temple that first night and his return the next day. He speaks of a fig tree. The following day, verse 12, we read, when they came from Bethany, he was hungry, and seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. What in the world is going on? Well, it's an object lesson as we think about it. If we had more time, we could look at it. There's a, there's a lesson from it, in verse 20 and following. But it's an object lesson. What Jesus is preparing his disciples for is he says, You're going to go into Jerusalem. You're going to see something which looks very healthy, which looks very alive, which looks very robust, but is not bearing fruit in keeping with repentance. He comes to this fig tree, though it's green in leaf. It has not only no fruit, but even no bud. It was not the season for figs, we read. So it was not expected that there would be great fruit, but there, there should have been a start. There should have been a beginning of life for this uh, tree was green in leaf. So it should have been in Israel. They should have had a beginning of understanding, at the very least, fruit in keeping with the right understanding of what they really needed as they had reflected upon the priests doing, the prophets' proclamation, and the kings holding them accountable to the truth, to faithful practice. Here we see something green with no fruit. It was a picture of the fruitlessness of the temple worship that they were about to see. A metaphor for Israel who claimed to be God's people but bore no fruit in keeping with repentance, not depending upon God, their only deliverer. There would be hustle and bustle as we saw already in the temple. The disciples would see it, but what Jesus was indicating to them is this. There is no life there. There is no meaning to it. There's application for us today in that the life of the church can have many, many, many activities and everything looks good and we say, oh, I go to that church because it has all these programs and all this activity and all of this life and yet if it's not focused upon and centered upon the Lord Jesus Christ and making much of Him to the glory of God the Father, then it is empty and fruitless. Jesus was about to enter the temple and to clear it of all fruitless activity and to call His hearers to deeper faith. We know that upon Jesus' ascension into heaven... The Spirit came, and what do we hear? Our bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit. And the Lord says to you today and to me, He says, I don't want your temples, your bodies, to simply be active doing a bunch of things. I want them to be a temple of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit testifies to the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to speak of your humble dependence upon Jesus Christ that in Him you know there might be life. To pray for heart change. To live a disciplined life. Recognizing that God is the one who delivers from sin and death. What does a heart set free from the guilt of sin look like? Well, it rejoices in Christ and tells others about Him. Delights to come together to study about Him. It extends forgiveness. It practices humility. Prioritizes relationship and service to others. That is what Jesus is doing as he comes, not doing what the people want for him, but doing what they most need from him. Do you sometimes feel as though when you're trying to do what is right, you're not appreciated and you say, well, what's the point in doing that? Well, it is first and foremost obedience to God, doing what he calls you to do, to serve in that capacity and to leave the results to him. The fruitless religious life is done for the praise of others to make us feel good about ourselves, to check a box. True spiritual life is found in the one who knows Christ as Savior and Lord and seeks to live for Him in home, in church, in school, in public and in private. Not for praise of men, but because we delight in all that the Lord has done for us. Christ comes as King to show them the way, to show them the way of life. He is the King who comes to provide what we could never provide. He comes to take our place on the cross. He doesn't deliver us from every difficulty or earthly enemy, but from the judgment. And we owe Him our lives. He's at the center of our lives, not just the first day of the week. Indeed, He is a wondrous King. The Gospel writers tell of it, and there is nothing more fitting than to praise Him. Blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord, the one who opens the way to fruitfulness and to true worship and to peace with God. Blessed indeed is He who comes in the name of the Lord, even Our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, as we think about the King that you have provided, he is not one who is first and foremost delivering us from political enemies, from physical infirmities, though there are times of deliverance, but he is one who has come to make peace, to speak of the temple is the place where right worship is held, where the focus is upon Your only provision, Your Son, who is our peace and our righteousness. May we rejoice in Him. May our every activity give thought to how we can make much of Him speaking of how He is moving among us by Your Spirit. Lord, lead us to that great and fruitful life That comes out of faith in him. We ask in his name. Amen.